Well, I invite you now to take a Bible and to open it to Luke chapter 24. For this year, as a church family, we are going through each letter of the New Testament, looking at the first chapter and the last chapter. And so we are in the Gospel of Luke today. And his last chapter is 24. We'll read it in its entirety. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, and men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. And now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home, marveling at what had happened. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together... Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. And then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and the rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. And moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things? And enter into his glory. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And so they drew near to the village which, where they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is evening, and the day is now far spent. And so he went in to stay with them, and when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. 
And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And then they told what had happened on the road and how he had, was known to them in the breaking of bread. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they had saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. And then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on the third day, rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven, and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. And that will conclude our reading. There are a few words that I simply want to use that come from this text to guide us as we look through uh, this final chapter. And as we come to the last chapter of each gospel, uh, every time we're coming into it, when uh, the emotions of everybody involved at the very beginning are filled with sorrow. And so we're listening in on what is for many people the worst moments of their life. Somebody who they loved dearly and who they looked up to greatly has suffered a public execution. And we see that sorrow even in this chapter. The women who are coming to the tomb are coming with the expectation with spices on hand to continue to prepare the body of somebody who they love. And so they're, they're still at the very beginning stages of grieving. And then we see that as Jesus comes alongside these two Disciples who are now walking back to what is likely one of their homes about seven miles away from Jerusalem. He joins in their conversation and can just tell they're down. They're sad. They're talking about something, but their posture is probably indicating that there is sorrow uh, in their hearts. And as we've had a, a taste of sorrow this week and just hearing news of a new war of for many of us knowing people who we love who live in now a place where an ongoing war is taking place it it weighs you down when things aren't right but 
all the more here, it's not simply that there is conflict, but it feels like the conflict has had the worst outcome. That they actually got to the leader and they put him in the ground. And there is a sorrow that we always feel when we love somebody and that person dies, but there's, there's another dynamic when that person is in a position of leadership. And Wednesday mornings, the men's Bible study is going through First and Second Kings, and now we're reading about all these kings of Judah and Israel and just realizing that when leaders fall into sin and when leaders walk away from God, it has profound consequences much bigger than what you and I will normally experience. Our sin always affects more than just us, but most of us will never have the authority to have our sin affect a whole nation. But that happens when you're the leader of an entire nation. But then even the good kings, when it's not their sin that affects everybody else, but we just hear they reign for this long and then they died. We grieve when a good king dies. And it's again, not only those who know that person and who love him in a more direct way, but an entire nation grieves when a good and righteous ruler is no longer reigning. That's the the depth of the sorrow that they feel. It's not just a friend who's gone, but who they looked up to as a leader. And so when the leader is gone, what do we now do? (laughs) Who do we look to for hope, for answers, for a future? And what we encounter on this, uh, this first day is that there are several surprises that then take place for all of these people who are experiencing sorrow. The women are going to the tomb not expecting for the stone uh, to be rolled away, to be empty. They are going to help make the burial uh, more appropriate, to care for the body. They could not imagine that later in the day, Jesus would be saying, do you have anything to eat? (laughs) Can somebody feed me? Uh, That his body would be resurrected, that he would be able to talk and fellowship uh, with those who he loved. This is something that totally surprises them so that even when they go and tell the disciples that the tomb is empty, the disciples struggle to believe it because this is surprising to them. And so Peter himself runs and verifies it really is empty. The stone really is rolled away, but he doesn't immediately yet know what to do with that and what that means. And if I were to ask you just hypothetically, what do you think you would do on the day you rose again from the dead? I think it would look probably very different than what Jesus did I know in my mind and heart, I can think of some people I'd want to talk to uh, the day I rose from the dead after they publicly executed me. I'd have some uh, issues I might want to resolve or some people I'd like to say, hello, do you remember me? Um, Do you remember what you said a couple days ago? Do you remember what happened? But our Savior, when he could have settled the score, he goes on this leisurely walk. And he encounters two disciples who are walking away from Jerusalem. And 
it didn't strike me as much before when we concluded Mark's gospel. There's a, a good amount of irony that's supposed to make us laugh when we read the, the unbelief of, of the followers. But I think even here, there is tons that should make us realize our Savior is filled with joy. Like when you know you're going to surprise somebody and you know that where they hurt deeply, you're about to give them good news. That's fun. To come alongside weary and broken hearts and to tell them everything's going to be okay. And so as I was reading this passage this week, um, it's still one of those amazing uh, realities of our Savior that from the pain of the cross, in love, he could say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. It's amazing. But I also kept rereading this passage and just said, it is also amazing that he responded to these two men when they said to him, are you the only person in Jerusalem who doesn't know what's transpired over these last few days? It is amazing that Jesus could keep a straight face when he says to them, what things? What, what happened the last few days? Tell me more about what it is that you're grieving and I don't think he's smirked. He doesn't give himself away. They don't know until the very, very end of the day who he is. But what a joyful anticipation in his heart to know that he is going to bring good news and surprise them with what is causing them the, the deepest amount of pain and the deepest amount of sorrow. Yeah. when they finally do realize who it was, uh, this is a reflection from Charles Spurgeon on this passage. He says, those brothers must have often during the rest of their lives looked at each other and said, we walked with Jesus. <laughs> I should think whenever they met, their conversation would have in it fresh recollections of that walk. And each other would say to his fellow, I remember he said this. And the other one would say, do you remember when he said this? But to have had what felt like an ordinary leisure walk and conversation to then discover that this is now the risen Lord who's been talking to you the whole time. Who is the very answer of the, the deepest prayers that you have been praying that what you grieve is separated is now together, that what you are grieving is lost is now found. And the, the self-restraint on Jesus' part to not just right away spill it. I don't know if you like doing surprises or if you like being surprised. Those don't always go together. But when you are in your mindset to surprise somebody with good news, it's a joyful Thing that usually brings a sense of creativity. For me, one of the fun moments that then that brought up uh, in, in our lives was I had the opportunity uh, after Amy and I were engaged, I came back home. She was a missionary in South America at the time. And I came back home and I had some regular customers who I worked at a coffee shop and then I worked at a restaurant and some people were just regular customers at both places. And so I got to know them over a period of time. And so one of the people who I then shared the good news that I had now uh, proposed and that Amy had said, yes, we were engaged. He was so excited and he just said, if you ever want to go back, you just let me know. And I was like, 
what do you mean? Uh, he's like, if you, if you want to go back and visit her, you just let me know. And I thought, well, now we're engaged. We're going to get married. I have to save, like, money. I don't have a lot of money, and I'm, we're accepting a larger level of responsibility. I don't think I, I can't afford to go back. I'd love to. He goes, no, no, no. You just tell me when you want to go. Give me the dates, and, I'll, and I'll, let me see what I can do. I just didn't know if I could really bank on it or not. And so the next time he came in, I said, if you're really serious about this, here's when I graduate from the University of Akron. So here's like a window of time that if I could go, I'd love to go. And so he said, okay. And he came back, and I had a voucher for a free round-trip ticket. Uh, and I can't remember if it was Delta or United or, or which airline that I could now use for a trip. And I was like, oh, my goodness. Okay. So I didn't want to get my hopes up because I didn't know if it would really happen. And then I had it in hand, but then I also knew that for me to now say ahead of time that I'm coming would probably create some tensions because uh, the first time I had gone, it was summer break down there, so everybody was relaxed and on, uh, you know, in leisure time. And I knew that now when I would be going would be like the middle of the school year. Amy was a teacher in the school. And so for me to even say in advance, hey, I'm coming, would not mean she could request vacation time and we could build out all of these kinds of plans. And I didn't want her to feel the burden of doing any of that. I just wanted to come. I didn't think it would be possible for me to come again, and now I could. And so I said, I'm going to surprise her. I'm going to go, and then I have to now figure out how to not uh, how to hide it so that it doesn't seem like it's going to happen. Uh, but I graduated and then got on a plane. And at the very same time, there were people there who were visiting and doing a work trip. And some of them were about to come back to the States. And so she took the advantage, because mail was pretty insecure at the time, uh, or unpredictable, unreliable, to say, oh, there are people here who are traveling back. Let me write a note for me and then I'll give it to them so that when they get there, they can pass it along. And so she's in her room at her house in Asuncion. She writes out a card. She seals up the card and turns around, and I'm standing in the doorway. Which I thought might get this, like, what? Scream or something, but it was more of like a... <laughs> she looked down at her card. It's almost like, are you a ghost? Like, I am... I'm thinking about you, I just wrote something to you, and there you are. And it was, no, I'm not a ghost, it's really me, I'm really here, like a generous, just long-time customer made this possible. And I know you can't take any time off, and I'm just here to enjoy the next two weeks. But I can tell you, for me, that the joy and the fun that it was to get to be in on something like that. And the joy it was for then other people to try to help make that happen. The, 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 the husband in the house where she lived, for him to come pick me up and just sort of coordinate it. And Luke 24 just has all of that. Most of the resurrection stories do. Jesus knows he is the answer to the sorrow and the grief that these people are dealing with. And he's going to bring surprising good news to them. And he comes to these two who are having this conversation, he allows them to share what's in their heart. And then he unpacks the scriptures for them. And then even still, they get back to now one of their homes. The night is coming. And he says, you know, I'll just keep on going. 
And they have to say, no, 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 don't keep on going. Please come in. And they, they lean on him to stay with them, even though they don't still know fully who he is. And so when I just think of his joy in asking the question, what things? <laughs> I think of his joy then in saying, okay, I'll come in. Like just knowing that they're getting closer to realizing who he is. And then again, the joy as all the disciples are gathered together and they're now hearing the good news from these two who come back because they're so excited that they have to share with the other disciples what's happened. And then it says, as they were talking about these things, for all of a sudden Jesus himself to be standing among them. Like, again, I just see Jesus like brimming with joy at encountering these people, at surprising them in their sorrow, in their confusion, in their longing to be with him, to say, I'm here. And again, I just imagine now at this point, he's not trying to keep a straight face anymore when he says, does anybody have anything to eat? <laughs> like, let's sit down and let's enjoy one another's company. But we also see in this beautiful surprises, these life-changing experiences that they have, at every point, there's also this reference back to scripture that when the women come and they're surprised that the tomb is empty, those who are speaking to them remind them of the words of Jesus to say, don't you remember how he said this and how he pointed that this was going to be necessary and that this would happen? And then it says, they remembered his words. And then as Jesus is talking to the two on the way to Emmaus, he could have just quickly said, guys, I'm right here. But instead, he gives them a Bible lesson. He walks through Moses and the prophets and the writings so that their confidence in who he is and what they're doing and where they stand before him would not be based solely on this surprising experience. It'd be forever changed by that, but it would also be grounded in the truth of Scripture. You weren't expecting this, but this is what I had promised all along. This is what God's story had been saying all along of his steadfast love and of his faithfulness, his grace, and his truth. And so then even when he's with the disciples and he shows himself to them, there is this commitment to go back to the scriptures, to teach them again the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, and how they are all to be fulfilled. And we need that. We need the real experience of encountering Christ and having fellowship with him. And we need the knowledge of scripture to see how God has worked over time and proven himself to be true. And then where it ends for them is in song. After Christ ascends and blesses them, it says that they returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. That's where Luke had begun his gospel in the temple and it ends in the temple. It began with people worshiping and longing for him to come and now it ends with people coming back to the temple with now the joy of the Lord within them celebrating and singing the goodness of who he is. And it's a powerful thing where they would have gone back to a place of familiarity 
they would have sung many of the same songs, but now all those songs had a different meaning. All those songs now had more life to them to give them a greater sense of joy in what they were singing. This is what we've been saying all along. This is what we've been reminding ourselves in worship would happen. And so how much joy it would be for them to go back to songs that they had known their whole lives, the words of, but now they knew the experiences of. I, don't, I was blessed to be raised on learning lots of music as a, as a child. And it is one thing in youth to learn, because we can, to memorize the words of different songs. And then another thing over time to increasingly through life experience the truth that those words point to. One of the songs that comes to my mind when I think of that is My Jesus, I Love Thee. It's one of my favorite songs from Sunday school. My Jesus, I love thee, I know thou art mine, and for thee all the follies of sin I resign. My gracious Redeemer, my Savior art thou, if ever I love thee, my Jesus tis now. One of the verses that I know I sang as a kid, but I couldn't have known exactly what it meant. I will love thee in life. I will love thee in death. And praise thee as long as thou lendest me breath. And say when the death dew lies cold on my brow. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. When I was young, I knew those words increasing me in my life I have seen people live that reality on their deathbed and say that Jesus is their all that he is their love that they have seen him able to surprise them in their sorrow to be the answer for the deepest longings of their heart and I love to now sing this song in a whole new way because of entirely different experiences. I want to come back to the temple and sing it again from a brand new place. And then to imagine in mansions of glory and endless delight, I'll ever adore thee in heaven so bright. I'll sing with a glittering crown on my brow. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. our Savior, who could have settled scores on the first day of his resurrection, who could have gone back and done a whole bunch of I told you so's, instead came alongside people who were grieving, who thought they had lost, and he wanted them to discover that they had really won. He's a good God, and he's worthy of our trust that we would be willing recipients of that grace and that truth that he has for your heart and for mine. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the surprising works of grace that you have for us, that when we are confused and lost, when we are at times walking away and unsure of what the future will hold, 
we thank you that you delight to bring good news to us that you delight to show yourself to remind us of truth and so father as we come before you and you know the sorrow that still exists in our hearts the concerns uh, that we all have of those we love we do pray that you would continue to commune with us that you would continue to walk alongside of us that you would intervene and surprise us with how great your love is and that you would give us that joy uh, flowing from who you are that would help us to be agents of hope to others. In Jesus' name we pray.